everybody this morning. I know we've got some guests who are here, and so if you are with us for the very first time, and I didn't get a chance to meet you on your way in, uh, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor uh, here at the table. And so when you walk into a new church, maybe you're not exactly sure what to expect. You're trying to figure things out. If I could tell you one thing about our church, I would tell you this, that our vision is to see faith come alive for everyone who's a part of the table. And what I mean by that is that faith isn't this thing that sits on a shelf, but is something that guides everything that we do in life. Um, and so hopefully through the service this morning, you get a taste for that. I want to let you know, if you have any questions uh, about faith, any questions about our church, or anything, uh, any questions about what you hear this morning, I will be available um, and would love to, to chat with you for a few minutes this morning. So I'm going to, when I'm finished this morning, I'm going to head out to the lobby to our connection area, so out the doors to the right, and so I'll hang out over there. And so if you do have questions or anything, feel free to um, come by and, and visit uh, for just a little bit. Glad that you are here. Um, let me pray, and then we'll get into the message. Heavenly Father, I pray that over the next few minutes that you would speak to our hearts. God, in light of what we're talking about, I, I just feel a heaviness. And, and, and so in the midst of it, Father, I pray that you would help us to remember the foundation of our faith. In the midst of the questions and doubts, I pray that you would be real to us and that we would continue to trust in you. So, Father, I pray that you would Give me clarity of thought over the next few minutes as I speak, and I pray that the words that I say would be from you, and that ultimately you would be at work in our hearts and lives, comforting us and challenging us, so that we can have a living faith that does guide the way that we live. Father, thanks for your presence with us today. I am so grateful for that promise, and I do pray that you would speak to our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What do you do when the institution fails? The leader that you have trusted proves to be untrustworthy. What do you do when the organization that is supposed to be guiding you into truth is proven to cover over truth, to spin the story in order to avoid scandal. It might make you question what you believe. Or what do you do when they tell you to do one thing, but then they prove to do something very different when it suits their needs? It might make you question question what you believe. Those questions are being asked by thousands of Christians across our country because of what they've seen, some of what they've experienced. And you may or may not be aware of all of the reasons, but they're piling up by the day. Sometimes they're at a distance, 
Like when you find out about Joshua Harris. Probably many of you don't know that name. Joshua Harris is an author who wrote the book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, that influenced thousands and thousands of Christian singles in my generation. The idea behind the book was, here is God's plan for you in order to find a mate and have a perfect marriage. And so how do you feel when you find out that Joshua Harris got divorced and denounced his faith? Might make you begin to question things. Or, or what do you do when you find out about this prominent denomination in our country that is supposed to have been a bastion of moral standing and you find out that they've been covering over abuses of pastors for decades. Sometimes those things are at a distance. At other times, they come close. It's funny how when you don't think about something for... 35 years, the emotions come back. Wednesday night, I was in the fifth grade. The church, like we always were. Typically, Wednesday night, the adults were in the service in the auditorium, and we had our kids' program and classes in the rooms in the basement of our church. That night was different. And I really don't remember a lot of the details now. I just know as a kid, we knew something was happening. They didn't leave us alone, unattended in the basement of the church, but there weren't as many adults and leaders there as there normally were. And we didn't know what was happening, but whatever it was upstairs was significant. It seemed like it was taking forever. Eventually, one by one, our parents came to collect their children and head for home. I remember the look on my parents' face. It's good that there are two services. I can get it out now. They didn't say anything at the time. And I don't remember if it was in the car or after we got home, but my parents told my sisters and me, we were without a pastor. Ours had been forced to resign because he'd been having an affair. And while I don't remember a lot of the details, I remember what it felt like. It was like somebody died 
I think my thought weren't wasn't so much centered around our pastor, but what was going to happen to our friends? He had a daughter that was my age, another that was the age of my younger sister. They were our friends. We'd done stuff together. And I wondered what was going to happen to them. And I guess at some point I did start to think about our church. Would we still go there? Would we have to find a different church to go to? Thankfully, that wasn't my decision, obviously, and I don't know what those conversations were like for my parents. Ultimately, though, we decided to stick it out. The church survived. Our faith survived. And I know that's not true for everybody who experienced something like I did. Because of an experience like mine, many people walk away from church. Some people walk away from their faith forever. My best friend in elementary school is a kid named Jeff. Jeff lived two doors up the street from us. He was a year older than me. But because we were so close in age, we did everything together, played together all the time. But Jeff and his family were Catholic. And I don't mean kind of Catholic, I mean like really Catholic. Mass every week. They made sure that their kids went through confirmation class, had their first communion, and attended the best Catholic schools that were in the city. Jeff served as an altar boy. By the time we got to high school, we had kind of started to go our separate ways. Jeff went to the Catholic high school. I went to the public high school. But we would see each other around from time to time. By the time I moved here, I hadn't seen Jeff in years. It was probably about 15 years ago now. I just sort of randomly got a message on Facebook. Jeff messaged me and said he was coming to the Metroplex on business and wanted to see if I wanted to have dinner. And so I did. We got together, began talking a little bit about the things that we had done since high school and college, catching up with, you know, about family and all those kinds of things. He asked me about my career choice, about church, and I asked him about church too. I mean, honestly, I was curious to know whether or not he still attended Mass every single week like he had done growing up. What he told me is really sad. He said he hadn't been to church in years because of the Catholic priest abuse scandal. He just couldn't go back. And I remember thinking at the time, and it's really sad for people like that, for people in that church. But it's not that church anymore. It's in churches just like the one I grew up in. Churches that if you walked into today would look just like the one that you are in today. So all of these different experiences, the things that are happening out there, sometimes the things that happen to us, it's causing a lot of people to ask really hard questions about what they believe. 
And those questions are causing some people to walk away from church, others to walk away from their faith completely, even their belief in God. All right? I understand the questions. I understand the desire to walk away. But I don't think you can walk away completely from your belief in God. I know that there are people who would claim to be atheists, meaning that they don't believe in God. I don't think that there is such a thing as a true atheist. Because otherwise, how did we get here? Now, some people would say, well, ultimately the way that we got here was through the Big Bang, right? The, these, the right kind of gases came together in just the right way at just the right time, and ultimately through a series of events, we've been led to be here, which, okay, that's fine if that's what you believe. But here's my question. Where did the gases come from? There has to be a first cause. So what is that first cause? I mean, did the gases always exist, or did someone or something make them? Now, if the gases always existed out there somewhere, then that's the first cause, and ultimately that becomes God. But if something or someone created those things, then who or what is that something or someone? Because that is God. And the reality is our understanding of God, whoever that is or whatever that is, shapes how we understand life and guides how we live. So it's important to reflect on whatever that is. We're going to get there this morning, but I, I wonder where you are in your faith. I know that there are folks in our church who are asking some of those hard questions. Maybe going through the process of deconstruction. And I don't think that the questions are bad. And honestly, I understand them. And I understand the reasons behind them. But for our purposes, rather than talking about all of the reasons why we might not believe, what I want to do in our series, Reconstruction, is talk about the reasons to believe. The reasons that we have a foundation of faith that we can build our lives on. And today we are going to start with the basics and talk about our belief in the reality of God. So if you do have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. I'll read for us here in just a second, verses 1 through 5. So Genesis chapter 1, to open up, flip a couple of pages, you'll find the beginning of the book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Or um, if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, um, you can follow along on our live event there. There's lots of helpful things in there. Let me read Genesis 1, 1 through 5 for us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered over the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. As we seek to understand who God is, what I'm going to do today is talk about what I think, and I'll do, do this very succinctly and simply, but I want to talk about who, who the Bible says that God is. There's a lot of, that we could talk about in relation to God. We could talk about different ideas about God, different ideas that people have about God, their constructs of God. Um, we could talk about misconceptions that people have about God. I don't want to go there today. But what I want to do is present what I believe that the Bible teaches about God. You don't have to believe it. You could come up with your own ideas of who God is. But again, what I want to do is present very simply at least what Genesis 1 teaches us about God, and then you decide what to do with it. As we think about who God is, it makes sense to go back to the very beginning to the very beginning of the story and see the way that God is presented to us. And we find it is in Genesis 1.1, we are introduced to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it is that one verse that teaches us so much about who God is. And the first thing that we see from Genesis 1.1 about who God is, is that God is one. In the beginning, God. So the first cause before everything, that is God, and God is one. Highly significant in light of the culture of the, of the day. The ancient culture was a polytheistic culture, which meant that there were many gods. Everything that could not be explained was just assigned to a god. Where does the rain come from? A god must do that. Thunder, right? That's from the gods. Everything that couldn't be explained is from gods. And so there were many. Moses wrote the book of Genesis. I believe after he went to Egypt and rescued the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years on their way to the promised land, I think that's when Moses wrote the book. And so for hundreds of years... The people of Israel had known a culture where there were many gods who were often in conflict. And the first thing God says through Moses in the beginning, God, not many, but there is one. Second thing we see about God, we see that God is one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we find out that God is the perfect creator. The idea is when you look up, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's when you look up, everything that you see, that was put there by God. And then when you look around at the earth, everything that you see has been put there by God. God is the perfect creator of everything. And then as we continue, we learn something that I think is really significant. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
I don't think Genesis 1 is a modern scientific manual for how God created the universe. I think it's a theology of who God is in the process of creation. And in the process of creation, we see something that's really significant about who God is. Because what was revealed to us is that the God that we know, the God of the Bible, is a God who brings order out of chaos. That's verse 2. The earth was formless and empty or void, and darkness covered over the face of the deep. And that's when God began creating. So the idea is the picture. There is this formless stuff that God began to work with, and he brought order out of this orderless stuff, putting everything into place. And it was through his word that he created the universe. It's really interesting. If, you, if we were to keep reading through Genesis chapter 1, what we would find is that throughout the chapter, God is creating systems for how things function. And so what we find is that God is a God of order, God who brings order out of chaos. There's one other thing that we find out about God from Genesis chapter 1, and that is that God is active in our world. That's the picture that's presented for us throughout Genesis chapter 1, that God is active in our world. He was active in creation. It was through his word that all things came to be. He hung the stars in place, put the lights in the sky, all of those things. It was through an act of his word. The picture that's presented for us is not a God who wound the clock and let things go and walked away, but it's God who is active and involved. And we clearly see that when we get to the creation of man, which is towards the end of the chapter in verses 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our image. And so there's a personal element to the creative process, especially in the creation of man. If we were to go over into Genesis chapter 2, where we read exactly how God formed Adam and Eve, we see God using his hands to form Adam. It's the idea that it was from the dust of the ground. So it's God getting his hands muddy as he formed Adam, and then dirty again as he took from Adam's side and formed Eve. God is active in our world. And I know we're going really quickly through a lot of this stuff this morning, but just generally speaking, I think what Genesis 1 teaches us about God is that God is one. He's the perfect creator who brings order out of the chaos and is active in our world. Now, remember what I said earlier, though. Our view of who God is, whatever it is, whatever that first cause is, shapes how we understand life and guides how we live. And so, for the rest of our time this morning, that's what I want to focus on. If that's, what we, if, the, if that's what the Bible teaches us about God, then why do those things matter? First, if God is the ultimate being, if he is that first cause that is before everything else, then he deserves our worship. So if what Genesis 1.1 says is true. In the beginning, God. So before everything else, God existed. Then that fact alone demands our worship. Now, when we find out about the creation of man, it gets even more specific. 
Because in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, in the creation of man, we are made in the image of God, which means in some sense that we are to be a representative of who God is. We find out that ultimately we are created for worship. Now, when I say that, that's far more than just singing songs. It's more than what we do as we gather together on a Sunday morning. But it means that all that we are is to be a reflection of who God is. Just because of who God is, He's worthy of our worship. And that's what we are created for. That is our purpose. Second thing, the reason all these things matter. Though sin brought chaos into God's created order, God is bringing order from the chaos through Jesus. And so when we experience chaos in our lives, we should look to the one who is bringing order out of that chaos. We don't have time to really get into it too much this morning. When God finished creation, he looked at all that he had made and said, it is good. Meaning it was exactly the way that God intended it. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Paradise. We don't know how long it was that they existed in that paradise before sin entered the picture. In terms of biblical real estate, it's about a page. Because by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have eaten that forbidden fruit. Sin has entered the world, and where what God had created was done in order, chaos is brought back into the system again. But then, from every page forward through the rest of the Bible, it is the story of how God is once again bringing order out of the chaos, now doing it through Jesus. And so when we experience chaos in our lives, why would we look anywhere else other than to, one, to the one who once brought order out of chaos and is in the process of bringing order out of the chaos that exists in our world? Because we know paradise is coming. It is through Jesus that everything is made right. It's through, through his sacrifice, his willing death on the cross for us, that allows us to have a relationship with God so that we can be brought back into a right relationship with him again. God is bringing order out of the chaos through Jesus, and he can bring order out of the chaos that exists in our lives. The last thing, and then we'll be finished. Because God is active in our world, we should seek his activity in our lives. If God simply just wound the clock and let it go, if God revealed himself to just be a God who is out there somewhere, then we would be left to wonder how to live. And maybe collectively we could get together and say, hey, we think these are the things that are best for us, so maybe we ought to do these things. But that is not the picture that we see of God. Because the picture that's presented to us is a God who cares. Who cares what is happening in our world. He cares and is active in the world around us. And he cares about what's happening in our lives. And so because God is active around us, We should be saying, okay, God, if you're here and you're active, then how do you want us to live? We shouldn't be trying to figure it out on our own, but saying to him, help me to understand how you want me to live 
And then help me to live that out. Because that has to be the best plan that we could have for life. If God is active in our world, we should want him to be active in our lives. For those that are asking questions, again, hear me, I understand. And I'll be honest, I've probably asked all the same questions. In the midst of the doubts, I just don't think we can walk away. Because we have a God who cares. He cares about us. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. And as a result of our understanding of who God is, we should be saying, God, help me to understand how to live and to be a reflection of who you are in everything that I do. And I think that's what understanding the reality of who God is, how that reality shapes our lives. We pray with me.